Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. In the previous episode, we talked about some parenting ideas, how to talk to kids about pornography and other sensitive topics. And in today's episode, I'm going to switch back directions to talk about adults, especially men, who are in recovery from pornography and sexual addiction and how they can better take care of themselves so that they can do good long-term recovery. In a previous episode, I interviewed Amy Clough about self-care for women who are in recovery from betrayal trauma. And in today's episode, I speak with Forrest Benedict, who is a clinician, an author, a speaker, and he is also in recovery from lust, as he put it, pornography and sexual addiction. And he's the author of Life After Lust, Stories and Strategies for Sex and Pornography Addiction Recovery. Forrest says that men who are in addiction recovery are often what he calls masters of self-neglect. They just don't take very good care of themselves and then end up becoming vulnerable to the pulls of addiction. And so Forrest is going to share not only personal examples about what he's done in his own recovery, but also from his years of clinical experience and writing about how to best set up a good program of self-care so that you can go the distance in recovery. Please enjoy my interview with Forrest Benedict. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast, Forrest. It's so good to have you with us today. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Yeah, you bet. So a lot of the talk around self-care oftentimes, at least in, in my experience, is around supporting women who have been betrayed and traumatized. And naturally, there's going to be an emphasis on helping them take care of their bodies, their emotions, and helping them uh, find safety and, and comfort and calmness because it's just such an assault on their on their world. But today, in this episode, you and I are going to talk about self-care for men, men who struggle with addiction, um, and why why men in recovery need self-care just as much as their wives or the women that they betray. So I'd love for you to just jump right in and, and share your initial thoughts on why why self-care for men? Why is it just as big a deal? Yeah, well, you know, I'm in recovery myself as well, and I think that um, what I've definitely noticed is when I'm doing good self-care, um, it affects everything. You know, it affects my mood. It affects um, my, you know, attitude. Um, and it also makes me less impulsive. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've done some, some of my own, my own research on this. And in my book, I talk about the neuroscience of self-care. And it's interesting because, um, you know, especially with pornography addiction, sexual addiction impacts the brain, um, specifically the prefrontal cortex of the brain. And so it's interesting that there's certain um, self-care just basic self-care strategies that we wouldn't even think would be associated with this, or maybe we wouldn't really think about the impact. Um, but those actually strengthen the part of the brain that uh, is impacted by sexual addiction. So, um, so that's kind of another, that's why I kind of say that self-care is a no brainer, kind of a, <laughs> a, a bad pun, you know, but um, for people in self-care, because, um, 
you know, like getting good sleep affects our brain, you know, in our, you know, exercise and eating healthy and things like that. Um, mindfulness, you know, those things are self-care that actually strengthen our brain and strengthen our self-control and then, you know, really help us even on a, from a mood perspective. Um, so I think it's, it's super important. It's something that people... Um, often, you know, we're really good at, let's say we're masters of self-neglect, you know, and, and maybe we might focus too much on the behavior, but this is one of those things that can really strengthen us um, to have a stronger, you know, a, a really good recovery um, in, a, in a way that um, it's, just, it's just so worth uh, investing the time in that. I love that. I love that idea that strengthening the brain to help reduce impulses, um, just to improve impulse control, is is really the primary reason for for men in recovery to practice self care. That it actually is is sort of like exercises for the brain. If it says it without what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, I talk about like in my book, and and I stole this from somebody else, but you know, it's it's preparing when we're weak, or preparing when we're strong for those times when we're weak. You know. Yeah. And it's like those some of those daily practices that we can do on our good days um, and on our bad days, you know, really strengthen us for that. I, I think the moment of temptation is not really the moment that we need to be focused on. We need to be focused on, you know, a month before that when we're actually practicing good self-care and really investing in our own recovery. Yeah. So it's preventative in a lot of ways. It's 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 like building up the storehouse of uh, of resistance and the ability to think clearly, to have a calm, balanced body, so that when you do feel weak, you've got so many resources to pull from. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I think we'll be in a lot less vulnerable situations if we're getting good sleep and we're taking care of our body. Um, I mean, I you know, I've been in recovery many years. I think I'm, I'm about to, I'm going on 15 years now. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm really like one or two nights away of not sleeping, um, away from a relapse because I know for me, when I don't get good sleep, it's like, you know, I, I talked about the evil genius, you know, it's just yeah. that part of us that, that wants to take us away from our, the right path. Um, and for me, like, if I don't get enough sleep, like, that evil genius starts um, speaking to me, you know, starts telling me ways that we could, you know, take care of ourselves. It's really like, if I don't take care of myself now, the addiction will will um, give me ideas of how to take care of myself, and that's not really helpful. So the addiction really just is a dysfunctional form of self-care. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's, um, you know, maybe it's served us in the past when we didn't have other ways, better ways of coping with our emotions or with our, you know, lack of attachment or pain, you know. But, um, and so it may have helped us cope with our earlier life, but now that we're in recovery, uh, we just, we have better ways of coping. You know, we learn a lot more tools and skills. Yeah, I mean, that, that is such a powerful concept, I think, that, you know, when you talk about people in recovery are masters of self-neglect, um, but then they turn to the addiction as a way to provide. It's almost like self-care 
is something that is not optional, right? Like we're going to care for ourselves some way. It just depends on what right. form it's going to take, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, do we want to pick the way that might actually help us feel better? Or do we want to pick the way that's going to bring more devastation into our lives, you know? Yeah, so this this concept of, of, of people in, in recovery, people with addictions being masters of self-neglect, why do you think it's such a struggle for people with addictions to take care of themselves and not neglect themselves? Uh, well, I know that a lot of us uh, don't really have, and this would be same for, the same for partners, in my opinion, that, that we have low self-worth, you know, and we've re- re- really uh, abused ourselves in a lot of ways through the addiction. Um, you know, some of this, too, is just our upbringing. Like, we may have been raised by parents that didn't um, make these things a priority or didn't teach us that our bodies were, you know, sacred and, and really worth taking care of, um, you know. And, and so I think some of it is self-worth and some of it's upbringing. Um, but, you know... I think for me, some of it too is like um, wanting to do what brings immediate gratification. You know, right? Like self care, self care isn't the same as you know um, an immediate you know rush that I get from you know eating a a, a gallon of ice cream. You know, or the comfort. <laughs> you know, right. might be immediate. You know, but it's not long term. So that's the other challenge with with those of us that are addicts or in recovery, like it's just, it's difficult to do the thing that takes more time, but it's going to give us the the most bang for our buck, you know? Yeah. There's like not this immediate payoff with self care. Rarely. I mean, yeah, you might feel relaxed if you, you know, go, you know, take a hot bath or a shower or just uh, take a nap or something, but it just isn't going to be the same rush. Like you said, the same deep, you know, dopamine relaxation kind of hit that you're going to get from something else that spikes it. Yeah. Yeah. We're just not used to like nurturing ourselves either. You know, like we, we don't think about that. I think we just, um, yeah, just, it just isn't on radar. And there's an interesting, there's another interesting piece, like especially with eating and exercise, like I think in our culture and just, all the things that we've put into our brains, like, I think we usually do those things for probably the wrong reasons, you know? Yeah. Um, Like, just focused on looking good or even for a sexual addict, like, wanting to be wanted by people or wanting to be attractive, you know? Like, this is kind of hitting self-care from a different angle, like, not, not to look a certain way, but to really, you know, strengthen your your ability to um, love yourself and care for yourself and really um, give yourself the best chance of recovery. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's really powerful. A lot of a lot of people that struggle with addictions and what you're saying is that there's just a real almost inexperience with like use the word nurturing yourself, like really learning how to self-soothe and take care of yourself. Is, is that because in a lot of cases it just wasn't modeled or even done to them? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and then there's just that, like, you know, I talk a lot about self-compassion. And 
I think that's a difficult concept for a lot of people to grasp because they have so much self-hatred and so much shame, you know? So to think about being kind to ourselves or nurturing or self-loving, like, I mean, a lot of us think, I think, especially in religious circles, we have a lot of shame and feel like we don't need to be kind to ourselves. We need to, like, you know, whip ourselves into doing what's right, you know? Yeah, no kidding. So it's right. kind of like how we relate to ourselves. How yeah. we view ourselves, you know. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I really like what you're saying. I mean, it, even if even if you grew up in a home that was nurturing, I mean, some people didn't grow up in homes where there was any emotional or physical nurturing, and and it's going to be obvious why an addiction would become a, a easy substitute for that because it mimics that. But even in people, even in in the lives of people who grew up in nurturing, supportive homes who still have addictions. You're saying that even even if they get fall into addictive patterns and they they discover the power of of an addiction in those substances or foods or activities or behaviors that spike the dopamine, this the self loathing and self hatred and the shame that comes after letting yourself down and crossing lines and going against your own values that can turn into so much self loathing that you almost don't even care about taking care of yourself anymore. It's like I don't deserve to feel comfortable or or do nice things for myself or to take care of my body or my emotions because I'm just such a loser. I mean, is that the dialogue? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I I still have clients that are in that place where they just don't feel like they deserve to be to experience anything good, you know? Right. They feel like they've done so much wrong that if anything, they should be punished, you know? Right. Wow. Yeah, and so a lot of a lot of self-care probably can't even happen until somebody has started really done has some has started to do some of that internal work of challenging the the messages, the shame, the self-loathing. And and does self-care then become easier after that, or is it something that can actually help you change the way that you feel about yourself? I mean, is it kind of chicken egg thing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we'll, you know, when people start recovery, we'll start them on, you know, some of these self-care practices, like, right away, so that they're starting to learn how to do it more, like, as a habit, Um, but I think it's still, so I think it still can be done, like, Mm -hmm. as a habit or as kind of a, a reinforced behavior that, you know, has, we have some structure around that to help them do that, but then I think it really is. I, I know for me, it's taken many years to get to the point of um, it being more of an internal thing, like, okay, I'm, I'm really focused on, um, you know, getting a good night's sleep because I care about myself and because, you know, I know that I'm worth, I'm worthy of this, you know? It's, um, so, yeah, for me, like the, you know, the, I call it the shame-based identity, like, when it's an identity, it's part of our makeup, like, it takes a long time to work through that. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the beginning, it might be, you know, let's practice the, let's, you know, fake it before we make it, you know, let's practice yeah, just the behavior. The behavior. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then hopefully the heart change will um, we'll catch up with it over, over time. Because self-care behaviors are something that, like you said, you can just behaviorally just start doing, even if you haven't connected to your heart or given yourself that kind of internal permission to do so you can you know you can eat healthy foods you can exercise and get yourself outdoors you can start uh, going to bed on time you can do these things 
even though it might be somewhat forced, but eventually your heart will catch up to it. Well, yeah, hopefully, you know, if you're in therapy and if you're doing your work, you know, because the, the funny thing is I've thought about this before that we can exercise and eat healthy and take care of ourselves out of self-hate or out of self, self-love. Yeah. You know, yeah. if we, if we think, if we think we're, you know, we're fat, we're ugly, we need to change, you know, we just hate ourselves. So we're like really, you know, authoritarian with ourselves. Like that can, it's not as, you know, you're practicing the behavior, but it's really not, I don't think that's really not a healthy way to treat yourself, you know? Yeah. That's so important to, to be aware of what the motivation is because, if you're if you're working towards self love and still doing the behaviors, that's one path. The other path is just to use it as a punishment. That's so interesting. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's kind of the story of my life. I can definitely speak from experience. Like almost every time I've tried to eat healthy was, you know, out of a disgust with my own body. You know, hmm. and I mean we wouldn't treat a friend that way. Hopefully, you know, we wouldn't say man, you're looking disgusting. I can't believe you, you know, eat all this crap, you know? Yeah, but we, right. we tend to do, we do that to ourselves. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a work in progress. Yeah, no, that's such a great thing to pay attention to. And and I think that, I'm, I'm guessing that in your experience, do, do most people, most men who start addiction recovery, and I guess women too, right? I mean, women also struggle with addictions, obviously. And so when someone in a, in a yeah. recovery in a recovery program, when they're starting this, um, how how many of them start off really having healthy view of self, or do most of them get there after they've started taking care of themselves? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think if they had a healthy view of themselves, I don't think they'd be having their addiction. Yeah, fair enough. And that that may be simplistic, but you know, I mean, the addiction, you know, it's a self. I call it a self-abusive type of type of behavior, you know. Yeah. Um. So it's. I don't know. Do you have a? Is that what you would say too? Yeah, that's been my experience. I think I think most people are just so numb and disconnected from themselves when they start this process. By the time they finally come in to get help, that they they learn to reconnect to their heart, but it's long after they've been behaving and starting to form new patterns and. A lot of the times, like you said, a lot of times those patterns are pretty mechanical at the beginning, but they've got to do them. It's, you can't wait around for your heart to feel a certain way before you start doing those things. Yeah, exactly. And I think that... Yeah, I mean... Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just thinking even from the partner's perspective, like, they're not going to wait around for your heart to catch up with, you know, your action. Like, they need to see action now if you're going to create so safety true. for them. That's so true. Yeah, the actions have to happen. And like I said, the, behaviorally, those are things that you can do right away, even if you know you're doing it from a place of fear and um, you're you're still numb. Um, you know, like uh, I think somebody said one time, they said, you know, ask yourself, what's the next right thing? You know, just keep doing that. Just even if you don't fully connect to it yet, keep doing the next right thing. Yeah, definitely. And and good self care. Uh, I know in my own experience, good self care is all about boundaries. Can you say something about that? You definitely. I mean, I think if we have worth, we are able to protect 
ourselves, <laughs> you know, it's like, like the partners that I've worked with that couldn't set boundaries. Um, I think it oftentimes, you know, came down to a worth issue. And that's why I wrote that piece, what my wife is worth, you know, it's, a, it's I think we need to have a sense of our own worth if we're going to start taking care of ourselves. Um, and, and so, so yeah, I mean, I think about boundaries from that perspective, like if something's valuable, uh, let's protect it, you know, let's put boundaries around it. And so some of that might be like boundaries with our time. Like I'm going to have to set this up as a routine in my day. Like I'm going to, have to, you know, wake up at a certain time and go to bed at a certain time. And that's a way of kind of, I guess one way of looking at boundaries is kind of like self-parenting. You know, it's like huh, yeah. in our addiction, we, we don't we don't have any boundaries in our addiction. It's just do whatever we, we want, whenever we want, you know. But that's like a child that doesn't have any um, parenting going on, you know. Right. Um, but I think boundaries, even just taking care of ourselves is kind of like a loving, but also, um, you know, a parent that also has rules and, you know, kind of like, yeah, nurturing, but also um, protective parent, you know, we, it's the way of relating to ourselves. So I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, it's almost like uh, addiction is, like you said, it's like the uh, the parents have left on vacation and the kids have a full fridge and um, keys to the car and a credit card and there's just no boundaries at all. And, and people can get themselves into a lot of trouble when they live their lives without any sort of rules or regulations. I know my kids are always acting like, once I'm an adult, I won't have to have any rules. And I'm like, you guys, I have more rules than you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, oh we didn't... You know, we're, it's just, um, you know, just a reminder recently of Christmas, like uh, the movie Home Alone, you know, yeah. where he's home and the parents are gone and he can eat whatever he wants and right. do whatever he wants, jump on the bed. You know, it's like, that's the addiction, addiction lifestyle right there. Yeah, that's so true. And And good boundaries, like you said, they do come from a place of self-love, a place of, I'm worthy of, of taking my time. I, I, I think about that for myself, and I think boundaries are something that I know I'm working on all the time. But even something as simple as, I don't have time to talk to this person, or I need to get to bed on time, or I need to say a no to, a, to an invitation or a project that somebody wants me to take on, those are all forms of self-care. Those are all forms of, of protecting your resources and your emotions and your, your physical strength. And and boundaries then really become the foundation of being able to pull off self care because if, if there's no boundaries then you one won't have the consistency but second you also won't have any sort of clarity about where your limits are. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, and and that's actually going to be really hard I think for most people in the beginning. Um, you know, I'd say most of the most of the addicts that I've worked with are what I would call like pleasers. Yeah, and they really fear confrontation and they fear, I mean, this is part of why they lied about their behavior. They were afraid of their partner being angry. And so, you know, when they, when you talk about like, you're going to actually have to tell somebody no, or tell somebody that you have a limit, you know, like that could actually stir up some fear, you know, like that could be like, Oh no, I don't want to have to do that. But, but I mean, what are the, it's, you know, what are the, 
what happens if you don't do that? You know, it's, it's going to be worse if we don't learn how to have those boundaries. So that's a really good point that you bring up there. Yeah. And I agree that it's really hard to do that. And it's, it's a lifetime practice. I mean, I'm, I'm still working on boundaries all the time and improving and refining how to do that. And it does take courage and it brings up a lot of fear because we don't want people, uh, we don't want to lose important relationships and connections. But in my experience, anybody who's ever set a boundary with me, I've never felt like they didn't care about me. <laughs> yeah. Mean, right. Yeah. Like for the most part, it's like when somebody says sets a boundary and owns it for themselves, it usually goes just fine. Yeah, and it's like they're modeling that for all of us, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, wow, you can actually say no to things, you know? Right, because I think what happens, it's, it's, yeah, I think what happens is yeah, when people, ahead. yeah, when people um, in recovery aren't setting boundaries, I mean, what I see happening is, um, because that's that's a form of, like you said, self-abuse or um, self-neglect, then they act like they have no limits and they have unlimited capacity for things, which is not true. And then they get so burned out or resentful or overstretched, overcommitted that the only option is to just numb. And that's, that's where the addiction, like you said, the evil genius comes in to say, I can take care of you. You've worked hard. You deserve this. You're a good person. Look how many people you're helping. I mean, just the, the dialogue goes on and on to where the, the addiction starts to make sense again from that whole lack of taking care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. I just read some research about stress being a, a, a trigger for sexual addiction. And, and it's definitely something that uh, we've already seen play out, you know, in, our, in the work that we do. That um, That's the other thing is that, that the type of momentum that lack of self-care builds in us is like... I, I call it prelapse, you know? It's like a relapse waiting to happen. Yeah, prelapse, it's, it's good. It's just going in the wrong direction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that word, prelapse. That's uh, I think you write about that in your book, don't you? You talk about that in Life After Lust. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a great term. Yeah, so Forrest, just as we wrap up this uh, this segment here, I'd love to hear from you. What are What are some good self-care practices? How do you begin this? If we've got men or women listening who are in recovery, um, who are who are trying to battle, you know, an addiction and trying to get healthy and, and strong, where can they begin with self care? What would that look like? Give us a give us an overview of what you've seen. I would start with sleep, and you know that I know that's a difficult one, especially for those of us that are parents. But you know, even just improving on it, you know, adding an hour a night or having a bedtime or you know, taking a nap at lunch. I mean, these are ways that we can at least gradually move in the right direction. Um, you know, diet and exercise are important. Of course, I'm not a nutritionist and I'm not a doctor, so I would recommend that people um, look into that, you know, talk to the professionals they need to talk to that would at least um, help them know what's healthy for them. And, and you know, at least start seeing that as part of their recovery um, process. And then, you know, one that's really simple is mindful breathing. Uh, and there's there's different mindfulness practices, but mindful breathing, um, you know, can, can strengthen that self-control part of our brain. And it's just something we can do anywhere. You know, I've even, like, done mindful breathing, like, in the car, you know, just focused on breath, um, you know, on a trip or whatever. But... 
Um, that's an easy practice. And then, you know, there's other forms of self-care I didn't even get into, but like learning to have fun, you know, learning to relax without addictive uh, substances or experiences, you know, uh, those are just, these, you know, they sound so basic, but they really make a huge difference. So just really prioritizing those things and, you know, don't feel like you have to do it all at once because that probably won't work. Um, but, you know, maybe picking a couple of these and just saying, you know what, this is a big part of my recovery and this is probably as important as, um, you know, not relapsing. Um, and, and, you know, this is going to reduce my triggers quite a bit. So it's, yeah, that's, that's what I would say is just to start small, but uh, put it on the table as something that's really important. Yeah, that's great. And I love I love that you started with with sleep because it seems like I mean sleep sleep deprivation now is the new drunk driving, right? And so yeah. it's it's something that is being talked about a lot and people recognize that we just don't function and so it's like fill up your tank first and then the other self-care stuff will probably be a little bit easier. So I love that you started with that one. And uh and and again that takes boundaries like you said with kids, with screens and other things like that. Um, but it's easy to yeah. get, it's easy to get overwhelmed with, with the idea of self-care, especially if you've been, like you said, a master of self-neglect. So starting with it can be pretty overwhelming, but, but you're saying just start small, um, work on one thing at a time and you'll start to, to recognize that it feels nice to self-soothe and take care of yourself. And you might notice that you feel a little bit more resilient and stronger against some of the triggers and temptations. Yeah. And then, and then I guess the other key that I would say is, you know, when you go on vacations or when, you know, it's the holidays, that you can't just stop those things, you know. You have to have some consistency because, um, you know, I think we, we all feel like, oh, I should, I'm on vacation. I should be able to do whatever I want. Um, but, I mean, that would be an emphasis even now, like, you know, over the holidays or as the, the future holidays come, like, there's no, there's no um, vacation from recovery. No kidding. And so self-care is, is a lifetime commitment because the addiction's not just going to go on vacation as well. Yeah, I guess why. <laughs> In fact, it comes with you because that's when we're probably most vulnerable because we're out of our routine and oftentimes we might be around you know, family members or other dynamics that might be um, you know, triggering or difficult. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, definitely. Well, this is great. I mean, I, I hope that anyone listening, my listeners who are, who are hearing this that are struggling with an addiction, that you can give yourself permission to start to self-soothe in healthy ways, that you just don't white-knuckle and, and force yourself to stop the addiction, but actually start to incorporate a program of taking care of your body, your emotions, your spirit, your relationships, and allowing yourself to be comforted by others, to be comforted by yourself, to have room and space and permission uh, to take care of yourself, that you you do matter, and that you're worth preserving and protecting. So thank you, Forrest, so much for this great discussion, and I look forward to having you back on soon. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. It's been, it's been really fun talking about this. You can get a copy of Forrest Benedict's book, Life After Lust, Stories and Strategies for Sex and Pornography Addiction, anywhere books are sold. There's also an audio version of it as well. You can find Forrest on the internet at forrestbenedict.com and on social media. Definitely encourage you to link up with him. He produces great content, has lots of blog entries, and is constantly writing and sharing and trying to inspire others. In my following episode, I'm going to continue my interview with Forrest, and we're going to talk about 
ways that group therapy helps people in recovery. I want to thank all of you for supporting the Illuminate podcast and sharing your time with me. Until next time.